Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. And if you've just joined us, it is really great to have you. My name is Mafia. I serve in the staff team here at CCC. And we're going to have two short five-minute talks now. So I'm, I'm going to share a small five-minute message on redemption. And then we're going to get an opportunity to respond. So everybody will have a couple of post-it notes and a pen on every single seat, or hopefully every seat. If you don't have a post-it note or pen, there are pens and post-it notes over there. And so I'm going to share a little bit on redemption. And then Andrew's going to play in the background, and there's going to be an opportunity to respond. And you get to write a couple of things on one of the post-it notes or two of them, and then pen it to the back of the cross somewhere where we cannot see it. And then Sharon is going to come up and, and share a short five-minute talk. And we're going to get an opportunity to respond again, put things on post-it notes, and then bring them to the front of the cross. And then we're going to hear a, a short story from Kayla. So I want us to reflect in two very short verses together. They're going to be on the screen to get an idea of what we've been redeemed from, what we've been redeemed, been redeemed with, and finally, what we've been redeemed for. And so the idea of being redeemed from is slavery to sin. And so the, the Christian hope does not hinge on who we are or, or what we've done, but rather the Christian hope actually hinges on who Christ is and who Christ or what Christ has done. So 1 Peter 1 verses, verse 18, um, Peter is saying here, for you know that it wasn't with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty of way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, so Peter is saying that in, in the past, uh, a slave's freedom was purchased by, by silver or gold. So money would have been paid to buy a, sins or to buy a slave's freedom. And then Peter is applying it to us, and, and he's saying that, that your slavery to sin wasn't paid for with perishable goods. It wasn't paid for by silver. wasn't paid for by gold. These things could never buy your freedom, he's saying. And so ultimately, in our slavery to sin, silver or gold, these things, these perishable things can never stack up. And so we'll, we'll jump from 1 Peter all the way back to Exodus 20, whenever, whenever the law was given uh, by God to Moses for God's people at Sinai. The law ended up becoming a curse for the people. And it wasn't because the law was bad, but it was simply because God's people couldn't keep the law. And so ultimately, the giving of the law in the Old Testament simply revealed the sinfulness of God's people, simply revealed their inability to keep the law. And so the law ended up becoming a stumbling block for, for the Israelites. And that actually, the law actually shone a light and showed just how far God's people were from God's standard and just how enslaved they were, not, not, not to Egypt. Remember, they'd been rescued from Egypt. God had brought them out of Egypt. He'd rescued them. He'd carried them on eagle's wings. And that's great. And then he gives them the law. And all the law served to do was just expose just how sinful they were. So they, they had their promised land. Israelites were in the promised lands. Thing, things looked great. But ultimately, Israel were enslaved to sin. But ultimately, God promises redemption. He promises hope. He promises there would be one that would come who would ultimately rescue them. So God's own son, Jesus, coming to earth as God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, he would be the one to redeem mankind. He would be the one to redeem mankind from slavery to sin. So ultimately, the, the, the problem is sin, slavery to sin. 
So redeemed from our slavery to sin, but redeemed with what? Look at verse 19. It's going to come up on the screen. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You know, Peter was saying this in 1 Peter, and funnily enough, around the same time, John was saying the very same thing in his letter in 1 John that, that, uh, that Andrew just read out. The only thing that could redeem us from a life of sin and from slavery to sin was the precious blood of Jesus. This one-time sacrifice, it's a once-for-all sacrifice that will cover all past, all present, and all future sin. Christ was an unblemished lamb. So Christ became the atoning sacrifice. Christ became the one who would redeem us from the curse of sin. By what? By becoming a curse for us. And so we can be redeemed from the slavery of the sin, all because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. That's why we're here today. You know, in 1 Peter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. That is the gospel in a nutshell. Christ suffered for sin, the righteous one, Christ, for the unrighteous one, Mafi, to bring me to God. As under the, the old covenant, so back in the Old Testament, the high priest would have entered the most holy place in the temple once a year, and he would have made atonement for the sins of the people and for his own sins. And he would have went in and he would have sprinkled blood on, on the altar. And the blood would have come from an unblemished lamb, a lamb without defect. And the sprinkling would have symbolically removed or, or symbolically covered over the sins of the people. So it, it covered the sins of the people, but it could never remove the sin. But all these years later, Christ comes along, the unblemished lamb hung on the cross for you and I. His blood was shed that we might get free. His blood didn't just cover over the sin and the shame in the same way it, uh, it did in, in the old covenant, but the slate was entirely wiped clean. And you know, it wasn't just wiped clean that the slate might get dirty again when we sin. The slate was absolutely smashed. No longer would God hold our sin against us because it was placed upon his son, Jesus, on that cross. So this afternoon we hear that Jesus has redeemed us from our slavery to sin through the precious blood of his son or of him. But what is it that we're redeemed for? You know, it's all well and good at finding out what, we're, what we've been redeemed from and how we've been redeemed, redeemed from slavery to sin and redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. But what is it for? What's this redemption ultimately for? You know, to the Galatians, Paul says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't, don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so God is saying to you and I this afternoon that because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, God is saying this to you and I, that you are mine twice over. I want you to remember that you are God's twice over. We were made by him and we have been bought back by him. You know, again, under the old covenant in the year of Jubilee comes every 50 years, all slaves would be set free. And so to those of a loving master, the slave would say, we're free, but we want you to be our master. And it's an incredible picture of, of what we can now say. We can now say, we are free. We have been set free by the blood of Jesus. We've been set free from our slavery to sin, but God, we want you to be our master. And so how can we respond? Andrew's going to play in the background, and, and I, I'd encourage you, let, let's use the pen and the paper. Let's take a few minutes to reflect on what we've been redeemed from, our slavery to sin. 
what we've been redeemed with, the precious blood of Jesus, and what we've been redeemed for, freedom in Christ. And so we've all got to post the notes, we've all got pens. Let's use this moment. To, maybe you want to begin to thank God for what he's redeemed you from on the cross. Maybe you, you, you want to acknowledge his once-for-all sacrifice for you personally. Maybe you want to confess sin. Maybe you want to write, write, write your sin on it, write some of the things that you, you struggle with or you struggle to hand over to God. And so as Andrew plays, I, I encourage you, write it in the post and note and come up whenever you're ready. Come up and stick it on the cross. Stick it on the very back of the cross so that whenever you go back to your seat, you will not see that. Because on the cross, it is gone forever. It is out of sight. It is covered and it is entirely removed by Christ. And so in a few minutes' time, I'll come back up and I'll pray, and then I'm going to hand over to Sharon. There's an old songwriter, Horatio Spafford. And when he found out that his family had been, had been, had been drowned across the Atlantic Ocean, he... Uh, in his heartache, he penned, he penned a song. It says, it is well with my soul. And one of, one of the verses he said, he, he writes, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Lord, we, we, we echo them very same words this afternoon as we sit here, as we reflect on what you have redeemed us from, how you have redeemed us, and, uh, and for what you've redeemed us. And we declare together that it is a blissful thought that our sin, my sin, all our sin, not in part, but absolutely all of it, has been nailed to the cross and that we bear it no more. And we say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Amen. Amen. Sharon, I'd love to invite you up. Thanks, Matthew. Well, we have much to praise the name of Jesus for. We've been redeemed, that language of the marketplace, bought back at a cost, at a price. But what else has this cross accomplished for us? Well, we're going to think about reconciliation. And when we hear the word reconciliation, we know that there's been a breakdown in a relationship. And most of us have tasted, I'm sure, the pain of broken relationships. And some of us hopefully have tasted the joy of a relationship reconciled. Well, let me remind you that the Bible says humanity was made in a perfect, harmonious relationship with God with one another and with the earth. That just sounds amazing. And yet humanity's sin, and some people have described it sin, S-I-N, shove off God, I'm in charge, no to your rules. Humanity's sin and selfishness broke those relationships so that in our natural state, our relationship is broken with God. And it's into this context that we hear Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21. All this, speaking of what he's just written in the previous verses, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to use John Stott's headings just to briefly notice a few things in these rich verses. So keep them up behind me. Firstly, the author of reconciliation. Who's the initiator in this? God. Verse 18, God reconciled us. Verse 19a, God was reconciling the world to himself. He takes the initiative and that is a relief. He's the author. Secondly, who's the agent of reconciliation. How did the author achieve this? Well, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, through Christ. Verse 19a, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And how can he not count people's sins against them? Well, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, the cross of Christ. God through Christ reconciles us to himself. There is no other way, there is no other religion that we cannot get around the cross of Christ. God is the author of reconciliation. Jesus Christ is the agent of reconciliation. And thirdly, ambassadors of reconciliation. Well, that's us if we're followers of Jesus. Look at verse 18b, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Glance at verse 19b, and he committed to us the message of reconciliation. And verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So if we're already reconciled with God, then this Easter, we are ambassadors of God, and we have a ministry and a message of reconciliation. And it's good news. And what is so good about reconciliation? Nothing that this earth can offer satisfies like peace with God. Nothing can satisfy us like reconciliation. And there is no other way to be reconciled with God other than through the cross of Christ. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And if you're not following Christ this afternoon, I implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And if you are a follower of Jesus, thank God. Thank the Father for taking the initiative in reconciling us. Thank the Son for dying on the cross and becoming sin who knew no sin. And praise Christ and rejoice in all this reconciliation means for us. I'd like to invite Andrew back up. We're going to have a few moments to meditate upon what we've just said. Perhaps you want to read through those verses again and use your posted notes if you want again and think about what reconciliation means for you. Maybe think about some of those Bible words or pictures that we heard or a word to describe your thankfulness 
What does reconciliation mean to you? This is what the cross of Christ has achieved for you and for me. And if you're not a believer, was there any of those words or pictures that sounded attractive to you? Note them down and then just come up in your own time and stick them on the front of the cross there. I just invite you up. Hello, everyone. I hope you can hear me. Yes? Okay. Um, all right, so I've been asked to share sort of uh, what the cross means to me um, at this point. So I thought that I would share that with you guys. Um, this year, the cross stands specially profound for me. Not that the meaning of the cross has changed, but the Lord has so graciously illuminated its significance to me. The dawn of this year bled with frustration, shame, and desperation. As it had been since I was a child, I lacked the assurance of my salvation. I could seamlessly recite the gospel, imploring my unbelieving friends to take hold of this joyous salvation and embrace the liberty of Christ. And yet those words had barely left my lips before I curled inward into distress, wondering why this tangible joy experienced by the saints seemed to evade me so. In recent reflection, I was reminded of a, of a lengthy and painfully honest prayer I journaled on the 2nd of January. I told the Lord that I felt like a bedraggled leper in his courts. I felt like shameful, dirty streaks marked my timid approach to his throne, and that instead of spotless robes, I was clothed in dirty garments. A few days later, I told him that on the one hand, I was engaged in a mighty conflict to stand firm in my faith and reject ungodliness. And yet I did it with the insecurity that the moment I turned around, victorious or not, I would be met with a disapproving frown. My cry to him was, I cannot effectively contend with the enemy if I am unsure about my standing with my king. I now know that I was teetering on the brink uh, of legalism. I believed that his love for me was dependent on my works. My mind furiously pounded against the lie and I fervently preached against a works-based gospel, but rarely it had sunk alarming, alarmingly deep into my heart. The lie was one misstep and I would be sent reeling from my savior's feet. It's no wonder that in a, in a life where I still fail, I had absolutely no joy. My salvation seemed so fragile to me. I did not embrace verses like Philippians 1 verse 6, which states, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Rather, I objected to it, sought out the exceptions, and when I believed I had found one, cowed in the wake of its terror. The following month, someone recommended The Transforming Power of the Gospel by Jerry Bridges to me. It, un it unpacked a verse that has filled me with peace beyond comprehension and for the first time in my life, I'm walking in true joy and freedom. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 lays bare the glorious consequence of the cross. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What Jesus has done is so profound that I believe I might never even begin to grasp the extent of his love for me. As believers in Christ, he not only strips us of our filth, but he himself has borne what is has borne what is so loathsome that we might become, that we might be cloaked in his absolute, immutable, and final perfection. It really is finished. And the wonderful truth is that as believers, verses like this don't provide a doorway so that we may live as we please. That is another issue altogether. Since he has quickened my heart with urgency for the gospel, it has been my desire to please him. The difference is, since understanding the transaction that actually took place on the cross, I am no longer submitting to the Lord out of crippling fear, fear that he will forsake or spite me. 
I have a posture of submission because of my love and gratitude for how he bore my sins and raised me up to bear his righteousness. I can stand firm because I am assured that the father loves me and he loves me not because of my works, but because he simply is God and he has chosen me from before the foundations of the earth. There is a Paul Washer sermon I encourage you to watch. It's called The Knowledge of God. And there is a quote that I've continually reverted back to when I am tempted to despair. He states, do you honestly think that he gave his only begotten son and did all of these things so that the first time you see him in heaven, he will have a scowl on his face because of all of your failure. It is my deep desire for all to know the joy that I'm finally embracing. And it starts with a proper understanding uh, of the personal consequence of the cross. Guys, in, in, in light of Kayla's sharing, whenever, whenever she sent this through to me, I was absolutely flattened by one of the lines it says that Christ not only strips of us of our filth, but he himself bore what is so loathsome so that we might be cloaked in his absolute, immutable and final perfection. I absolutely love that. And so, guys, if, if you're a follower of Jesus today, I want to tell you, you've been stripped of your filth because Christ himself bore on the cross what was so loathsome. And now we are clothed in his absolute, his immutable and his final perfection. And we're going to respond to that. And so as, as we do that, we, we're reminded um, and we remind ourselves one another. And we, uh, uh, what we're going to do, we're going to participate in, the, in communion with the bread and wine. And as we do that, we're going to see other people taking the bread and wine. We're going to take it ourselves. And it's going to encourage us. Because it says um, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so whenever we eat of the bread and whenever we drink of the cup, we do so in remembrance of him whose body was broken for us and whose blood was shed for you and I. Jesus' final words, or words on the cross was tetelestai. And in our English, it means it is finished. And a, an even better term is it's a transactional term. It actually means paid in full. It's a debt that is absolutely stamped that says paid in full. And as we share in the Lord's Supper this evening, we remember that our debt of sin, our debt of shame has been paid in full. Christ's sacrifice on the cross once and for all means that we can come before God our Father fully free, fully cleansed, fully redeemed, fully reconciled. Church, as we come to sing our last song, we remember that at Christmas time, what we celebrate as Christmas, Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us. You know, at Easter time, we, we remember and we celebrate God for us. And you know what, communion here, what we see now is actually Christ in us. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's sing our last song. Let, let's go for it. Let's really go for it. Jesus is here. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen. Amen.